This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. You might have changed your marketing strategy to include demand gen, but if you haven't made changes to your company itself, you're probably not getting the most value out of that function. In this episode, Prashant Kaul shares three steps you should take to make your entire organization focused on driving demand. You'll learn how you should design your organization for demand, why it's important to define what predictable growth means at your company, and why you need flexible funnels and goals that can be changed on the fly throughout the year. I hope you enjoy it. Prashant, thank you so much uh, for being willing to come on Metrics and Chill. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right. So for listeners, um, there were there were like two exciting topics, Prashant, teed up that we could have covered today. Um, and I feel like you would have been interested in, in both of them. They were both really interesting. Um, one was around how to actually read and use data the right way, telling a narrative behind it and contextualizing it and not just letting it, uh, you know, kind of taking it without context and making some catastrophic decisions. And that may be a topic that we cover um, in the future. But today we're going to be covering something that you framed as demand orchestration. Um, like like I said, when I was when I saw it, you know, when I was reading the form submission, I was like, oh, this is really interesting here. So I think we've talked a lot about um you know, this newer model people have been talking about of demand capture, demand creation. We've been talking a lot about demand gen. We talk with a lot of marketers in the show, but some of the things you surfaced here, I think our audience is really going to like. So especially if you're in marketing, this will be a good one for you. Um, All right. So to kick things off, like, I guess let's start this way. What would be kind of like the one or two sentence summary of, of what is demand orchestration as a framework or as a strategy? What do you see it as? Yeah, so I mean, um, so in my sort of last uh, 10 years of my career, I've uh, been working with um, companies that have been very developer focused. So the the product we sold was to developers. So I've actually learned a lot from working in that space uh, with developers. And it for them, a lot of it is about the method, right? So it's, uh, again, taking lessons from um the developer function and how do you apply them uh, to marketing or demand gen is kind of where this stems from, right? And th- th- that's why also the sort of the the term demand orchestration is uh, orchestration is something you hear uh, dev teams talk a lot about, right? Uh, so that's where this stems from, and it it really is a method, but it's uh, you have to sort of get to a certain state to really um, really reap the benefits of sort of demand orchestration, right? So I'd say there's uh, two key parts of it. Uh, the first part is just being a demand first organization. And I believe the recent meta, I hear a lot of teams calling themselves revenue teams or revenue driven uh, growth team is another one. Yeah. Uh, but my contrarian view to that is that uh, since revenue is an outcome and demand is also an outcome, being revenue focused means you're being, it's the outcome of an outcome. So you can't get to revenue unless you are demand focused. Um, Mm. And uh, I think that by being overly revenue focused, uh, sometimes teams build up these blind spots, right? And uh, a couple of examples where that might happen, right? Like, for example, in order to hit a revenue goal, you start whale hunting, right? So some teams get down to that because they have to sort of hit that goal. But in the process of whale hunting, you sort of put your resources towards uh, larger deals that may or may not close or may not close in time, 
right? Mm, so you okay. uh, inadvertently sort of hurt yourself by being overtly revenue focused in that way, right? Um, another thing I've seen happen is uh, in order to sort of meet revenue goals, you become a very existing customer focused as opposed to acquisition focused. And there's definitely uh, stages uh, in your life cycle where companies need to do that and sort of double down on the existing customer base. Uh, but sometimes by, again, over emphasizing the existing customer and not enough on acquisition, you ultimately start hurting yourself in the in the long run, right? Um, and there's also sort of that sort of short-term revenue focus, right? Where you sort of go after segments of customers that might be um, high churn or they may, they may not be in your sweet spot, right? You double down on, hey, we're expanding into uh, a new region, let's say Europe, but you're very new there, but then your outcomes are not uh, as expected because you're not that well-known in that market. Right, right. okay. So I think th those are sort of some of the pitfalls of being more revenue focused as opposed to being demand focused, because if you are demand focused, you're actually a little higher up in the funnel, right? And if you're seeing the demand in Europe, then you sort of double down there, but you don't put the cart before the horse. Got it. Okay. Is it fair to say, I guess in your definition, because everyone, you know, especially if you spend any amount of time on LinkedIn, everyone's defining these things different or they get into like word fights or whatever. Yeah. Would it be fair to say that when we're talking about this, being demand first for you is simply, so you, you listed this as one of the two hallmarks of this, of implementing this framework or, or being of this mindset yeah. is demand being demand first, simply the idea of being an organization that prioritizes taking, reaching people before they are in market or maybe category aware and building awareness, trust, educating them about the solution, what pains it can solve so that by the time they are ready to make a decision or decide that they're feeling the pain that you solve, you're top of mind and they come in like, is, is, is that primarily it? Or are you using, de I've heard demand creation used that way is, or are you yeah. using demand first in the sense of like, no, we're just going to keep being focused on driving uh, top of funnel inbound, you know, demand for the product. Um, uh, almost neither. Um, okay. I think it, it, it really is um, in a way that is a, a semantic uh, is just sort of uh, changing the semantics a bit, but it, it just means by being focused on demand, you're automatically solving for revenue. Okay. Um, that that that's really all I'm saying. But if you get overly focused on just revenue, sometimes you forget to focus on. You might forget to focus on demand creation. You might forget to focus on new logo uh, acquisition, which helps your um, expansion uh, in the long run. Right. So I think being demand focused comes with a little bit of um, uh, a siloed or a blind spot with it. Oh, sorry, the other way around. Being revenue focused comes with a little bit of a blind spot because then you you for, forget to focus where demand's really coming from. Right. So it seems like the the maybe like one way to summarize it is teams that boast on being revenue focused, the marketing team is indeed tying their efforts to revenue and to filling mm -hmm. the pipeline with high intent leads. It's just that they might do that at the expense of longer term growth or sustainable ways of growing the company because they're exactly. hitting this year's revenue goals. Okay. Okay, exactly. cool. Exactly. So what are some of the hallmarks or like, I know, I know, um, 
I mean, I'll, I'll present it the way, like, I know you, you had like three tiers, but you feel free to frame it a different way. So you mentioned that like demand orchestration has three broad parts, um, designing the organization itself for demand, then designing processes and metrics in your company for demand. And then finally, uh, maintaining flexible funnels to, I guess, track or evaluate this demand is, or can you kind of like unpack those, maybe starting with the first one, like designing the organization for demand? Uh, sure, sure. So I think to be a really sort of a, a, a company that's demand first and sort of moving into sort of demand uh, orchestration, I think you first have to recognize that the role of demand has changed in 2023. And uh, the demand owner is more like a shepherd because uh, there's a demand journey now where demand is impacted by almost every function in the business, right? Your BDRs are impacting demand, right? Even your sales team in talking to customers is um, impacting demand. Um, your brand in ways is impacting demand. The product mm -hmm. with people doing product-led growth, that's also impacting demand, right? So if you think that the demand gen team role is to just generate leads, I think that's a very antiquated way of thinking of it. Um, but the demand gen's role has to be orchestrating across all these functions. You have to really be um, a well-oiled cross-functional team to sort of impact demand across all these functions, right? So in that way, I feel that the demand role has now to be a shepherd where you work cross-functionally across all these uh, functions now. And uh, that's one lesson sort of I've sort of taken from product management. Like if you imagine um, a product manager, they uh, work with the engineering team, they work with the UX and the design team, uh, they work with support, they work with existing customers. But at the end of the day, none of these functions may report to them. And the product person is extremely accountable for the success of the product. And they have a direct line to the CEO, right? Uh, CEO will pull any great uh, product owner aside to understand um, how well that product is uh, performing, right? So in the same way, I feel that that's how a modern demand gen team has to function. It has to be cross-functional. You have extreme accountability and ownership, working with the BDR team across the aisle, working with the content team if content isn't part of your team, working with the product team if you're doing product-led kind of stuff, right? And you have to orchestrate across all these functions um, in order to um, drive and capture demand in the most successful way. Uh, for a company. So that's one of the key tenets is understanding that the demand role is now uber cross-functional, right? And uh, sometimes that also means your loyalties are not just to the marketing team, but mm -hmm. it, it really is being that sort of person in the middle that says, hey, guess what? We don't really have the right content or the right messaging. And those are some, some of the chinks in the armor on the marketing side. And then maybe we don't have the best conversion or the best follow-up on the sales side. So we need to do drive improvement there also. So it's really having that sort of lens of full funnel, right? Across the entire demand journey and being accountable for the whole thing. I really love, I love the parallel you gave here to, uh, you know, to product managers, because um, this is something I've often thought is, 
demand in when I've seen people describe demand in in like maybe the most robust sense where they're kind of they're having a hand in doing a little bit of what product marketing could also, you know, I guess in some orgs product marketing could run with, which is refining the ICP, maintaining, you know, the messaging or, or the positioning statement, um, translating that to go to market messaging. Cause they kind of are the ones, you know, leading like go to market messaging and who they're targeting. But then obviously it would be really natural to say, well, then once they hit the website, what if like the messaging is entirely confused and, you know, or, you know, they go through the the website and they're able to find everything they need, but then the sales experience is terrible and doesn't align with all these things that can, and there's all these opportunities for breaking. So I love the analogy of one person, um, being responsible to oversee all of this from a, from a, and I also think the more I've thought about this myself, I've thought like there also, it seems like there's a lot of value to someone if, if you subscribe, no, not everybody does, but if you subscribe to differentiating between demand capture and demand creation, um, as like, you know, generating ongoing demand, uh, from also being able to capture existing intent, like someone actively searching Google for your product the needs of those are different. The content you're going to surface, each of those is different. The way you're going to serve each of those users is different. Um, so yeah, it, it feels like someone having a 30,000 foot view and strategy for all of it makes makes a lot of sense. So I, I think this is like a really cool way that you've laid this out. So yeah, so that's 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 kind of one sort of core um, sort of tenet to sort of getting to demand um, orchestration, right? Is just having that sort of shepherd role that's um, super accountable across all the functions, right? Um, a second thing, and I was trying to tie this into sort of one of your themes of um, being predictable, right? Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes you actually have to define what predictable means. Oftentimes high growth companies feel that predictable means get to that um, 30% to 40% year over year growth that sort of the investors are looking for. And that's kind of the deal they signed up for when they took the investment money. Um, but sometimes that's to the detriment of um, sort of growing the business in uh, a proper way, mm. right? So one of the inspirations uh, that I've sort of uh, taken is looking at growth models that most systems take, whether it's in nature or how things sort of grow. And it's kind of got this uh, punctuated um it's not a smooth graph, but it's more like a punctuated graph, which means you grow rapidly for certain amounts of time, but then there's kind of small peers of plateau, right? And I think teams need to understand that there have to be these sort of rest landing periods on the staircase where you can catch a breather before you can go for that next kind of hike. And so being predictable means also accounting for like, look, we're going to have maybe two, three quarters of hockey stick, but that also means that we might have... Um, one one um, quarter of a little bit of a catch up that needs to happen, right? Just like um, dev teams take on technical debt sometimes, right? The business right. also the business also takes on some kind of debt. Um, maybe they pulled on a lot of employees very very quickly, and getting everybody on the same page needs needs a little bit of time, right? So you do sort of sometimes hit those. Uh, sort of slow down periods until everybody's working fast and at the same speed again to hit that next stage of growth. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, 
the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. Um, so I think that's, that's, I think also fundamental to understanding is just defining what predictable means. Yeah, no, this is great. Um, and this is all under this heading of setting up your org for demand. Um, as far as, uh, as far as designing processes and metrics for demand, is this encompassing? Like it, it seems to me like if you're going to decide if listener, you know, if there's a B2B company listening and like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to switch to demand. Um, I, I want to focus on this modern way you've talked about doing it. I want to explore some ways that we can be more holistic in our approach um, and making the function of demand gen more cross collaborative across these other departments. Uh, it naturally then bleeds into like, it seems to me that the way you measure it is super crucial because the way you measure it. Um, is going to determine whether it feels like you're succeeding with it or not. Like if you measure it using the old ways, then you're obviously going to think it's failing. Um, so what what's entailed here under this, like designing your orgs, processes and metrics for this new uh, demand orchestration? Absolutely. I, I think that's a super important um, point here. And I think one, one thing I've sort of uh, to the detriment of the companies uh, I've sort of been part of recently, I found that many companies have sort of over rotated on being quarterly businesses, um, even though they're high growth. And I think that's that's a big mistake, right? And this comes down to the process too, right? Um, if you imagine improvement cycles, right? You you look at metrics, see how you performed, and you want to take those learnings and feed them back into your business. Companies that do QBRs, and if you're a high growth company, you only have a chance to take those learnings four times a year, right? You've got four QBRs that you can do in a year. And I don't think that that's a quick enough iteration cycle to improve your business and to improve your funnel, right? So I think a key tenet of being successful with orchestration is being able to meet more frequently and have more improvement cycles, right? You need to be able to bite things off in much smaller chunks uh, rather than do these really big reviews once every four months. And by all means, if your business has uh, a quarterly cadence for the CFO and sort of uh, those reporting purposes, do that. But if you're trying to just iterate based on those uh, four cycles, you won't iterate fast enough and you'll fall behind. 
right? So that that brings us to sort of a couple of sort of lessons um, from uh, dev teams, right? One is this sort of concept of uh, separation of concerns, which means that the way people have gotten so reliant on um, data teams for dashboards and these big BI tools, I think sometimes that really slows them down. And mm. in order to make good decisions, you don't need a lot of different metrics. You just need a few key metrics. And so being it, you have to sort of take those metrics and create nimble ways of reporting on those metrics. Uh, and then the other sort of deeper metrics, as you sort of unpeel the onion and go deeper and deeper, um, some of those can take more time, which is fine. But in order to sort of understand how your business is performing, you, you want to be able to be nimble and make quick decisions. And that also means sort of almost layering your business KPIs into, okay, these are my quick metrics that allow me to make quick decisions and uh, change the direction of the funnel or, uh, you know, we have to improve the conversion rate uh, at some stage. And then these are the next level of KPIs, right? Um, so that's that's one thing, right? Sort of separating those uh, concerns a little bit. Um, the second is sort of this concept of uh, continuous integration and continuous deployment, right? Which means that you you can't do big disruptive changes and big disruptive launches, right? You have to be able to, um, like, if you introduce multiple variables into your funnel at one time you may not know what impacted the change um, right. for the good or for the worse, right? So being able to do these things in small iterative chunks is a, a much better approach. And that's something I feel that uh, teams need to get much better at. Um, and just uh, one example that comes to mind was this big um, global rollout of uh, sales loft we did at a company. And it was kind of announced at a rush at an SKO, the whole team wanted sales automation. But when we launched it, a few weeks into it, we ran into some snags. Um, we didn't have localized content for teams that were selling in uh, France, Germany. They didn't want to use the, the English content. So uh, those teams stopped using it. Um, and now you suddenly had half the team with uh, a tool that was helping them be more productive and half a team that was not as productive. And that introduced some other sort of conversion changes um, in the funnels as well for those various teams. So I think this is also something that teams need to understand is how do you even introduce a new technology to the sales team or to any part of uh, the organization in a way that's not disruptive or allows you to understand how it will impact uh, conversion rates in different parts of the team at different times. Is it fair to say that um, like the way I'm thinking about it is combining the two steps, I guess I'm thinking, okay, a, a smaller B2B org, maybe under 5 million decides to switch over, you know, from lead gen or performance marketing only to this idea of demand. Um, and they want to, they want to focus on demand orchestration as you're laying it out here. So obviously the first thing is, you know, to your, to point number one, um, they're designing their org for demand. So they're, they're making the switch over. They're seeing it as, okay, no, like this is holistic. This is, this is cross-functional across all these platforms. We're, switching the way that we 
uh, you know, some of the channels that we invest in, like I'm thinking from a marketing perspective, okay, then we're no longer doing only, um, you know, Google ads or holding linked ads to like performance standards of like expecting direct conversions. Instead, we're going to do LinkedIn impression-based ads where we're going to get our message out and saturate the market, even though people might not be ready. We're going to focus on more top of funnel content. If SEO is a big play, um, we're going to run a podcast, you know, we're going to be like the definitive educational expert in our industry. Um, that's what I see a lot of marketers talking about the difference being when they go from like money in, money out, all measured neatly within one month performance marketing, making the switch over to demand. So I'm envisioning like step number one, they make this switch uh, to to a demand focused org. And then the way I'm interpreting, like what you're saying with the updated processes and metrics is like, I would imagine there's also got to be an element of like, you're articulating meet more often measure things more frequently, be able to pivot a little bit more quickly, mm-hmm. um, ver, you know, versus seeing yourself as quarterly. How does that blend with things like, and, and I hear what you're saying of like, don't over measure, you know, keep, uh, keep it simple, stupid, like the, the K, the kiss role, uh, for metrics yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and don't overcomplicate it. So I guess help me understand would that look like, okay, the, the org has made the switch over to demand creation, and they've decided to maybe invest heavily in becoming the premier like YouTube educate uh, educating channel or podcast or something like that. Um, in addition to some of the other like capture forms of like, you know, bottom of funnel, like performance um, that obviously is like six to 12 month plays or bets. And yet they need to be like a month to month, more nimble org only measuring a few metrics. So in your opinion, does that look like measuring some of the leading indicators that lagging results are going to come and making just like small tweaks as needed month to month? Or like how, how does, how does what I'm articulating against measure or like juxtapose with the other way that you've laid out? Yeah. Um, a, a good, good question. Right. I think, I think you touched on some um, sort of uh, interesting points there, right? One, one sort of this sort of, uh, if I could call it dark funnel, almost uh, okay. implication yeah, yeah. for um, some of your activities, right? Um, and uh, I know a lot of uh, companies realize that um, your attribution needs attribution now because what you think is actually coming from a Google search may have been someone getting a referral from a colleague or seeing a comment on LinkedIn, right? Sure. Um, so, so definitely being able to sort of uh, keep creating great content and getting the message out is uh, is always going to be super important. Uh, but you need to be able to um, set metrics to even understand that those are working, even if it's a metric for that specific channel, right? It could just be the amount of engagement you're getting in that channel, as opposed to what you may be seeing on your end, right? But I do think that uh, ultimately you do want to see some kind of uh, tie back to your own metrics, right? Okay, so more engagement in LinkedIn. Are you getting more traffic from LinkedIn now, right? Mm, or okay. are you, or are you getting maybe within a certain number of days after a post got a lot of attention in LinkedIn? Are you suddenly seeing a boost uh, in traffic on your on your site, right? And uh, it might be through uh, Google searches. It might be through direct traffic. Who knows, right? Uh, but you have to be able to look for those correlations and to understand if those plays are in fact working, uh, because some of those plays can be very resource and people intensive. Uh, and if you are not seeing 
uh, the benefit for it in sort of uh, so at least your milestone based uh, benefits. Uh, there are going to be a lot of whether or not we question it, uh, the organization may question it, right? Whether they're seeing the benefit from that. So you you sure. have to uh, any good demand marketer would have to sort of back up their, um, you know, how they're spending their time and resources on things like that. Okay, and the switch when you articulated the switch from sort of um, quarterly efforts and. I'll put the two together. I don't know. I don't know if it's if that's like exactly what you meant, but like the switch from quarterly efforts and using a complicated BI tool to like, hey, let's let's keep this a little bit more nimble, a little bit more simple. We're doing monthly efforts and just measuring a couple metrics. Can you give an example of that? Like, what what would be an example of like maybe a, a more bloated org or an org that's doing this quarterly thing with all this fancy stuff that maybe and maybe like how could they strip it down to what you're describing? Yeah. So. Uh... I, I think um, so. So BI, for example, can be super expensive, right? Um, uh, the tool aside, and granted, there are open source tools to do BI too. So you may not have a tooling cost, but you do you do need specialized resources. You do need a lot more data to be able to do sophisticated data, uh, BI, right? And to see longer term trends. So it it takes companies a while to get their BI program up and running. And then once you have your BI program up and running too, uh, sometimes there's a long a line of customers waiting to get um, help from the BI team, right? So to say that, hey, I have a BI program or a BI tool and now I'm successful or I'm going to, going to sort of uh, be able to do a lot of great analytics and data-based decision-making is a bit of a myth, right? It, it takes mm -hmm. a while to really get there. So what do you do in the meantime Right. Um, how do you ensure that your team is um, successfully um, pulling their metrics to operate the business while sort of BI is ramping up, and you're also not being killed by spreadsheets and sort of, you know, I'm copying and pasting data from one spreadsheet to the other and doing this sort of really cumbersome analysis every time, right? So I think it, it really comes down to uh, making smart choices and really understanding. What are the levers that are impacting your business, right? And you, you almost have to, as I said, you, you almost have to sort of divide them into categories. These are the most important levers. And then these are the sub levers and these are the sub sub levers, right? And you just, you don't over rotate on the, the subs and the sub 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 ones, right? You um, focus on the, the main KPIs right? And ensure that those are getting regular visits. And as you're seeing chinks in some of those, then you then you have to drill down into uh, the other ones, right? But if you sort of try to look at each layer every single month, uh, I think that's going to be like small teams can't afford to do that. Right. And and they, they really should not be uh, spending too much time doing that. If, if there are good enough sort of early indicators in a, one way or another, then continue to do what you're doing, right? Yeah, I've heard a number. Um, there's been a few guests that have have underscored that point that you just made, which is they've found a lot of value because they're not these massive companies and they don't have the luxury of all this time and all this data. So they've had, you know, they've articulated a lot of value in just saying, like, some of them have said, "Okay, here we've been setting goals." Uh, you, you know, which are lagging indicators. Technically, they're going to come at the end of the year. We hope, like, we hope we're going to hit this revenue goal or this pipeline goal or whatever. 
um, what are like two or three leading activities that we think contribute to this, right? Or you, it might be channel dependent. If you, you know, if you lead content, right? It might be, we want this many signups from the blog, which means like, what are the leading indicators? Like it, it might be traffic. It might be number of blog or output focus, like number of blog posts. And a couple of leaders have articulated value. And just by pairing, like take the lagging thing that they want to happen and either add an output related thing. Like let's just try outputting one or two things and see how that moves this lagging one or something like a leading thing. Like, okay, we know we're going to commit to these channels. So we're going to measure the leading and we expect to see like the point you made earlier, you know, we expect to see the lagging rise over 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, again, as you move upstream, as a lot of companies are trying to sort of sell to the, into sort of enterprise type of um, companies, your uh, revenue is often lagged by, uh, I don't know, it could be like a three-month sales cycle. It could be a nine-month uh, sales cycle. So you definitely want to have an eye on that sort of qualified pipeline that you're building mm -hmm. up. Sometimes pipeline can be pretty um, unreliable. So you want it to be qualified pipeline to be sort of a, an early indicator of whether or not you'll uh, hit that sort of ultimate billing or revenue goal? And then what are some of sort of the early indicators before that, that will sort of help you understand that you are pulling in qualified people and you're sort of uh, driving towards that qualified pipeline. So absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, this is awesome. I want, before we get to the last component and talk about flexible funnels, I, I wanted to ask, um, what in your vision, like in your mind, when you, when you laid out the the example to like the product manager and the the cross collaborative nature of this in in the most ideal world someone implementing a demand orchestration mindset or framework um however you would term it what would the demand function own in the ideal sense like i know a lot of companies view it super limited like to them demand equal and a lot of companies demand equals performance marketing yeah maybe to some of the slightly more innovative ones demand equals some of the stuff that maybe brand used to tackle or you know they they maybe own like the first third you it sounds like you have a much wider vision for this so where would kind of like where would they pick up the ball and sort of drop it like at, at the end because the the analogy i thought of when you first laid it out was um was sort of RevOps, and in the way that uh you know RevOps sort of is like over all these verticals and kind of seeing this holistic journey, I was like, oh, it sounds like what you're describing. So yeah. could you maybe elaborate on that and what kind of your contrarian viewpoints is that the demand should start owning? Yeah, so th that that would be nirvana for um, demand to sort of sit across uh, a lot of those sort of functional areas that I mentioned. Um, I've actually been fortunate to actually uh, been in a role like that, which I'll go over in a second. Right. Um, but uh, it, it really, uh, the, as I gave you the example of uh, the product manager, the developer or the engineering team does not report to the product manager. Right. They're not their boss. Right. Yeah. But they but they do have a lot of uh, say in what uh, that engineering team may work on for a little bit of time. Right. Uh, there's definitely, it, it is a two-way relationship. I think engineering teams are also pretty autonomous autonomous that way. Um, but I think the same way, like the demand person may not own the BDR function, but they absolutely must have a very strong influence on 
SLAs, what's the follow-up? How often are they following up? Uh, and if they're not seeing the performance, they, they should be able to first work with the reps, work with the, the BDR manager, and then go as far up the chain, chain as they need in order to solve performance uh, problems on that side. And then on the other side too, if for example, uh, you're not getting the content you need, uh, may maybe you have uh, content that's for a very technical audience and uh, the marketing team cannot produce that content themselves and they need it from technical people. They have to be able to sort of uh, work with those people and ensure that uh, the content as the top of the funnel for programs, that that's, that is being delivered in a timely fashion, right? So uh, the demand person doesn't need to own that all, but A, they need to be able to influence it uh, as much as possible and they need the support, right? Um, it, it should not be construed as uh, political that I'm um, talking to the BDR team or I'm you know, yelling at the content team because the, the demand person is the defender of the funnel, right? Um, that okay. that's that they're they're serving the funnel and that they're not saying that I, it's not it's not making me happy it's making the funnel happy that we're doing these things. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I love it. Right? Yeah. So yeah. so that that's kind of the the mindset that um and that's part of sort of understanding where the the demand person is the shepherd uh, of the funnel or the shepherd uh, of demand. Um, that, that's really that mindset that people really need to understand is that, hey, I'm not doing this to make myself look like a hero. Look, if you really want to be successful and you want to drive uh, more demand for the business, we'll collectively agree that these things are important. So this and that would involve everything from, you know, hey, I'm realizing we're getting a bunch of no shows on these bookings further down funnel or these people like it does it go as far down as, hey, what we're doing up here, we've been running these processes for six months and churn has increased by 10%. And absolutely. this person's noticing that and saying, we got to fix something further up funnel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, we didn't talk about this in my intro, but um, uh, I I worked at HubSpot in the early days with Pete, uh, your uh, CEO oh, okay. of, uh, okay. of Databox, right? So uh, in the early days at HubSpot, we, we actually had a very wide funnel. Like we, we used to sort of um, anybody who was interested in sort of uh, the platform, we would pass on to the sales team. But over time, we probably removed uh, 80 to 85% of the lead flow because we determined at least at that time, they weren't the right fit for the sales team. That means we didn't have B2C support. Uh, we didn't actually have a partner program or a tool that would support partners. Uh, a lot of uh, agencies would come in to learn about uh, you know, inbound marketing, but they weren't interested in buying. So mm. we had to sort of start taking all of those leads out because as you mentioned, right, the, those were high churn kind of uh, segments, right? So I think that's also a, a super important thing that teams really need to do is, right, really pay attention to those segments coming in and uh, to the detriment of the demand person who now has to deliver a more qualified uh, lead number, uh, right. But when we agreed that what was the best kind of uh, lead that would convert to a, a high retention customer, uh, it involved working with the product team to work on features that were more sticky. Right. So it really did become that sort of cross-functional thing that who's the persona, who's the right kind of customer, what's the right product fit uh, that maximizes uh, revenue and 
build, generating the demand that sort of drives that. Okay. It's, this is really funny because this, this chat is coming uh, just yesterday. Uh, it'll, the episode will be probably have been out already, but when listeners hear this, but I just chatted with John Short on the podcast and um, who, who you, you like, you may know from, from either those days or on LinkedIn. And um, he was talking about like the whole conversation was around finding more of your best customer. And that's what I keep thinking of, you know, that the demand orchestration seems to be in service of is the role of demand gen in finding more of the best customer, you know, which Absolutely. is going to have impacts all, all across the funnel. Um, so my, my last kind of focus here is you, you mentioned the third kind of piece to this is designing flexible funnels. What do you mean by that? Like what unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. So I, I think, um, Building a flexible funnel really comes down to sort of understanding what we talked about just before, right? What kind of customer is the best kind of customer uh, to bring on board, right? And to sort of pursue a lead goal that's kind of a big number for the sake of hitting a big number is kind of an exercise in futility if that's not really a driving the best kind of outcome for the business, right? So uh, I think it's super important for customers to be able to slice and dice their funnel. They should be able to update their lead goals based on what they see is the right kind of customer coming in and iterate based on that. So being willing to say, okay, you know, this, this cross-functional demand person that you've articulated, like we've pivoted our, our org to be designed for demand. We've updated the, you know, we've gone from quarterly to monthly measuring. We're a little, we're willing to adapt a little bit more quickly. We're not getting bogged down in minutia or we're waiting for data that we don't have. We're focusing on just some core metrics that are showing us we're going in the right direction. And the idea of a flexible funnel is that this demand person or anyone in the org is, is pointing out, okay, you know, we started out with this, but like this has, you know, th these numbers have to change. This goal has to change. Like we thought it was going to be this persona. We're asking for this many leads or the, this many, you know, SQLs or something. Um, what we're finding is it needs to be refined to this. And that means we're changing our targeting. We have to lower that number, but we expect retention to be higher. We expect churn to be lower and orgs need to be that's like the third and final component. You're saying like orgs need to be ready to accept that they can't just do the first two and then hope that like, they're just going to be able to throw out these goals and they never change because the whole nature of like the first two steps of being focused on demand orchestration is you're being flexible. Like you're changing all these other things. You have to be flexible in this way. Yeah. I mean, just, just, just imagine what we went through dur during COVID, right. And um, how the market landscape uh, changed so much and how flexible companies needed to be, right. Um, you don't control everything, right? And sure, um, you've you've maybe taken on investment and you're accountable for hitting certain goals. By all means, you need to sort of strive to hit those goals. But as conditions change, so should your assumptions, right? Mm. And sometimes teams are unwilling to change their assumptions, right? Our goal is our goal is our goal. Um, because that's what it is. And that might be fine. Uh, still try to hit that goal, but the method by which you get to that goal might have to change, right? Hmm. Um, maybe you have to 
maybe it's that new product or that new strategy that you sort of implemented. You need to double down on that. Maybe it's coming from another market and not your primary market, but trying to sort of hit it by the sort of the one path um, may not always be the most flexible way to go about uh, achieving those goals. So I think that's kind of the mindset that you need to have too, is just uh, be cognizant of changing your assumptions and uh, the path to hitting your goals. This has been, uh, yeah, this has been really helpful. I'm curious. I have one last question for you, which is for B2B leaders that are listening and maybe aren't ready to make the change yet, or, you know, have remaining questions and stuff. What do you think is some of the fruit? Like you've obviously, uh, you're super experienced. You've seen orgs go through these changes and some, what are some of the benefits that if they're willing to make these things, if they're willing to pivot their org to being demand focused instead of leader performance focused, if they're willing to update their, their processes and metrics to accommodate that new demand focus and being flexible with goals, being willing to kind of change things on the fly. What are some of the benefits they can expect to see from the other side? Like companies that you see that really implement demand orchestration well across the board. Yeah. I think the the biggest thing I've seen is uh, they become well-oiled machines, right? It, It really is that sort of as I said, it's the method. So being able to work cross-functionally in a very, very streamlined way uh, is sometimes where a lot of companies get hung up, right? Because um, marketing wants to, everybody's trying to hit their goal in their own way uh, mm. is, is, is sometimes not the best way to hit the goal, right? Everybody should be trying to hit the same goal together. And I think that's kind of where um, demand orchestration sort of helps make one priority the same priority for everyone. And you understand that, look, even if we are doing PLG, the end game for PLG is really to generate more demand and ultimately get to more revenue, right? Um, or it could be through an account-based strategy, right? So I think that's that's kind of uh, the biggest outcome that people will see from this is that you get more streamlined, more um, singing from the same tune. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's it makes a lot of sense after you've you know presented it this way and everything that you've laid out. Like I I you know we've talked to people who it's like, it makes sense why it's this. Originally I was thinking like, okay, but what about, you know, director of marketing or rev ops or like whatever, but there's a lot of sense, I think in demand being this cross-functional role with, like you said, without managing anyone or anything, but because demand is so focused on the front lines, but then also, you know, can tie these things together in a way, um, uh, completely across the funnel, really, I guess. So yeah, this is this makes a lot of sense. Uh, for listeners who want to follow along with you or check out the product, where do you want them to go? Just go to halmar.com. Uh, we have a, a wish list uh, with growing number of members. Uh, sign up on the wish list and uh, we'll uh, have something in your hands pretty soon. Okay. And you're, you're, you're fairly active on LinkedIn, right? Like if we link to your profile, people should give you a follow. You're sharing stuff there. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Prashant, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Jeremiah. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.